0: We're going to go to three different places today. That's highly unusual for us. So to make it easy on you, start with Matthew. Get the book of Matthew. And then you're going to head left. And you're going to head just a few pages back to the book of Zechariah. We're going to be in Matthew 21 as well, but we'll start with Zechariah. Chapter number 9. I do appreciate your ministry in the service this morning. Cole Buchanan, sitting in the church. I don't know how he got here. We should have locked the door. <laughs> I do appreciate all of you who ministered in the service this morning. My heart has been stirred over and over again. I do like to recognize the fact that it takes a lot of work to make this church happen and I like to I sit in my office very often thinking about all of the different people who work in this ministry and keep it going and some a lot of it's behind the scenes one that I'm going to get killed for this morning but I'm going to do it anyway uh, that I have not recognized uh, that makes this ministry move forward I'm very thankful for the pastors wives of this church I'm going to get killed for this but that's all right I got the pulpit here not for very long, but I've got it. Unless you have been in the ministry, you do not know what it takes to be a pastor's wife. It is a very difficult thing. Pastor Sean and I have no difficulty. We were born to this. We grew up in this. It is not, It was nothing new. But our wives were not born to this. And it's something unusual to have everything that you do as a possible sermon illustration. Everything that you go, everywhere, everybody has their own opinions, and you're in the spotlight. Actually, you're in the shadow of the spotlight, and everything is, it all rolls downhill. And I I just want to tell you, I thank you for the wives that God gave us, the pastor's wives you have here. You should rejoice in that. I'm just telling you right now, the ministry here is not possible without them. And so, I appreciate them. I wish you would pray for them. It is a very difficult position to be in. And I rejoice in the pastor's wives that God has given us here at this church. And you should, too. I'm just telling you that right off the bat. Anyway, we're in in Zechariah. Probably not go here very often. Going to be in three passages of Scripture. It won't be very difficult for you to see that it's pretty plain as we read these, that these three passages of Scripture that we read are all three connected. It's not three separate passages but three connected passages. So here we go, Zechariah chapter number 9, verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just, and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, The foal of an ass. Now turn back to Matthew, chapter number 21. We want to stay there in Zechariah, if you've got that marked, We'll we'll be back there. Matthew, chapter number 21. Begin reading in verse number one. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Beth, Bethphage, out of the mount, unto the Mount of Olives, they sent, sorry, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught, unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went, and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put them on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And one third passage is in the book of John, two more books later, three more books later here, the book of John, chapter number 12, John chapter number 12, verse number 12, John 12, 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees, and went forth to meet him, and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at the first But when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of Him, and that they had done these things unto Him. Three passages of Scripture, all distinctly related together. It's going to be a pretty straightforward message this morning. I trust that the Holy Spirit has something to teach each one of us here. Each one of us is in a totally different spot in their life, a totally different place in their relationship with the Lord. And the Holy Spirit is able to meet each and every need individually. So let us ask Him to reach each heart, reach each life, your life included, with whatever It needs to be. It'll be different for every person in this auditorium. The the Lord is the only one capable of doing that. So ask God to speak to you this morning from His Word. title is very simple, Thy King Cometh. Thy King Cometh. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. It is our privilege to open your Word and study from it. It is our blessing to have the Holy Spirit to do the work. And we ask that he would do so this morning. Lord, every heart here, including my own, needs work done. Each of us need to move one step closer in our walk with thee. So do that work through your word, by your spirit. We ask this and move forward in faith, trusting your ability. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, who already purchased it for us. Amen. The book of Zechariah was written around 520 BC. When Zechariah spoke these words that we read in verse number 9, chapter number 9, verse number 9, it's unclear exactly how much he understood about what he was saying. It's called prophecy. He stated that a prophecy is stating something that's going to take place in the future. That's what when we read Zechariah, if you'll turn back there, this is a prophecy. Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This is a prophecy. This prophecy, and a whole bunch more like it, are one of the reasons why we believe that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. I get asked that question every now and then. Why do you believe the Bible? Well, the fact of these prophecies is one of, and a lot more like it, is one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So let's see if we can get a handle on this so you can understand why I'm so so, so, solid in that position. What was happening in this country 520 years ago? To give us ourselves a time perspective, what was happening 520 years ago? Well, if we do our our subtraction, we get to around the year 1500, right? Now, all of you historians, if I said the year 1492, oh yes, you you got through that class in history. That was like the third grade, okay? In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. So, now that's, in your thinking, does that seem like a long ways back? Think about what the country looked like at that moment. And you have Columbus on a ship coming this way, not knowing for sure that's even here. Okay? So he's in search of the new world. That's the time period we're dealing with. That's the distance from when Zechariah wrote Zechariah 9 to when the event actually happened, okay, so we're in that proximity, okay, 500 years ago. Suppose when Columbus was standing on the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria, when he was on the boat, as he pulls into the new world, he says, take heart, you people, in this new world, I can see your president coming on a camel. Now, what would the people on the Nino, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria thought of that? There was no country. The president was not an office. And there were no camels here. They would have locked him up in the bottom of the ship and said, you've been out at sea too long, let's take you back to Spain. Right? Because this is crazy. Now, If in the 2024 inauguration, the president comes riding in on a camel, you'd say, that Columbus knew something, right? (laughs) How did he know that 520 years before? How could he have predicted in 1492 that our president would show up here on a camel? That there would even be a president? How would he know this? Okay, this would be a prophecy and we'd have a lot more thinking on that. Now, one fulfilled prophecy doesn't mean much. There have been lots of predictions made down through the human history, has there not been? One or two that are fulfilled don't really prove anything one way or another. If you throw darts at a dartboard, one of them is eventually going to hit the bullseye, right? Just the law of average, if you make, make enough predictions, one of them is going to come true. As they used to say, a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then. It just happens. So if you had one prophecy come true, you'd say, oh, that was interesting. If you had five or six, you'd say, boy, somebody's a pretty good guesser. If you had 15 or 20, you'd say, somebody knows something. If you had 100, you'd say, 100 fulfilled prophecies, you'd say, there's really no doubt here. But there have been over 3,000 prophecies fulfilled. And that's just way beyond proof positive. Somebody has to know something. The only person who could do this is God. This is one of the reasons I believe the Bible is the word of God. Because these prophecies made hundreds or thousands of years in the past come true over and over and over again. It tells us that this book is not of man's making. Now, that's one of the reasons, amongst other reasons, but one of the reasons why I believe the Bible is the word of God. But let's look at this particular prophetic statement. Thy king cometh. It says that in every passage that we read. Thy king cometh. So let's look at this prophecy, the fulfillment of it, in logical fashion. Number one, some of you take notes. Number one, he came like he said he would. He came like he said he would. If you haven't noticed it in our world, the words of man, the promises he makes, the predictions that he, that he says, the, uh, the importance of what he says, all of it has expiration dates. Does that make sense? What if I say that? Everything that humans say have expiration dates on it. Your boss promises you a raise, right? You're going to get a raise. And before he has time to get that to go through, he transfers to another job. He's in a whole different company. Are you going to show up at his house and ask for your money? Good luck with that, right? You say, he made the promise, but when he left the company, my promise expired. It's not going to happen from him. His word is no good. That's not going to happen. If your dad promised you a bike, and that was in 1975, are you going to ask him for it tomorrow? Dad, remember that bike you promised me when I was 12? I need that bike. It's over with. If your grandmother predicted that you would be President of the United States, are you going to call the Republican National Convention and and demand to be put on the ballot? My grandmother promised me this. You see, all of these things, that predictions and promises, have an expiration date. When Columbus reached the New World... I'm sure that he had all kinds of plans, and people who backed him financially had financial plans and all that as well. I'm sure that all of them had made certain predictions. But let me ask you this, do you care? Do you care what Columbus plans he had? Or what the people that backed him, do you care, right? That was 500 years ago. That boat has sailed, right? We don't care anymore. It doesn't mean anything. Whatever they had intended, that boat has sailed. It had an expiration date. How many unfulfilled promises and predictions have been made on this planet would be anybody's guess. But once that promise gets so old, nobody expects it to be fulfilled. That promise is what we would say has expired my friend, not with God. He tells Zechariah to make this prophecy. Thy king cometh. Now, when God tells Zechariah this, God knows it will be nearly 500 years before it's fulfilled. But that doesn't matter with God. He does not make promises that he does not keep. He doesn't predict things that are not going to happen. Thy king cometh. And he came Like he said he would. Number two. He came in the manner that he said he would come. He came in the manner that he said he would come. When this king come, thy king cometh. When he came, he came in the manner that he said he would. Because another prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 14. It says... For the, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. As you are all well aware, this is exactly how he came. Thy king cometh. He was born of a virgin. In Luke 1 and 2, we are told of this. It was prophesied in, clear back in Isaiah. And he came in the manner that he said he would come. He came just like he said he would. And he came in the manner that he said he would. And number three, he came who he said he was. He came as who he said he was. Look at this verse. Rejoice greatly, verse number nine, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and a colt the foal of an ass. He is just. Your king is coming and he is just that word means righteous what person could actually properly take that title what person in the world would stand up and say I am perfectly righteous what person would stand up and say I have done everything that I am supposed to do I know we all look around and say Well, I'm glad I'm not as bad as that guy. And I'm sure glad I didn't do that thing. Or, you know, I'm a halfway decent guy. We all do that. But who would stand up and say, you know what, since the day I was born, I have done everything exactly as it ought to have been when it ought to have been done. That's me. Can you imagine anybody being so stupid as to do that? First off, the guy's wife would set the record straight as soon as, as soon as he said it. Okay, we all know that, all right? Who would do that? It would be an act of foolishness for anybody to say, I am perfect. There is, as the Bible says, none righteous. No, not one. But Zachariah says, thy king is coming and he is just. He is perfectly righteous. Well, how can this be? Well, there is only way for this to be. The king who comes must be God himself. And that exactly is exactly who came. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, John 1:14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God himself took on a human body. He was born as a human baby. Thy king cometh, and he is God made flesh. He came like He said He would. He came in the manner that He said He would. He came who He said He was. And He came to do what He said He would do. Now, what did He say He would do? He is just and having salvation. He is just and has salvation. Your King is coming to save you. Your King is coming to deliver you. Now, you got to think, Thinking is a good process that we need to do. Okay, think about Zechariah saying this. Okay, it's a prophecy. We know that it's going to be 500 years before this prophecy is fulfilled. So what possibly can Zechariah be talking about being delivered from? Okay, now think through this. Your king's coming to deliver you. And it's going to be 500 years. Okay, now if the problem was famine and Zachariah says fear not that's what he says and fear not your king is coming to deliver you and he'll be here with food in 500 years right if it's illness fear not because the cure will be here in 500 years it's poverty don't worry in 500 years you're gonna win a million dollars the enemy is attacking don't worry Relief column will only be 500 years away. Why would he say fear not? Because any deliverance that's going to come in 500 years is in a, it's, it's immaterial to you, is it not? What could he possibly be talking about? The word fear not would be presumptuous in each of those cases. The only problem that could actually have any possible meaning is our sin problem. He is going to deliver you. He has salvation. The fact that none of us are righteous. The fact that all of us have fallen. We're short of the perfection and therefore we fall short of the perfection of heaven. Each of us have this problem. Nobody can stand up and say I'm perfect and that's what it requires to get into heaven. We have fallen short of that standard. And Zechariah says, fear not. Because the king is coming and he has salvation. He is coming to deliver. Another prophecy in Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 21 says, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin this is what Zechariah is telling the people a burden bearer a sin bearer is coming your king is coming with salvation to save you from your sin to pay that sin debt this is exactly what god did god the son took on a human body he lived a sinless life on this planet he took our sin upon himself and was punished in our place If Jesus Christ had not taken on a human body, He could not have died for human sin. If Jesus Christ had not lived a perfect life here on this planet, He would have had His own sin to pay for, and He could not have paid for yours. If Jesus Christ was not God-made flesh, He would not be valuable enough to pay the sin debt of the whole world. But he was God made flesh who lived perfectly on this planet and took our sin upon him and paid our sin debt. And Zechariah says, fear not, thy king cometh to save you, to deliver you from your sin. And on the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is is finished. Your sin debt was paid. But we have proof positive. Our proof positive is three days later, God the Father raised Him from the dead. When Jesus Christ came out of the grave, God the Father was ruling on your case. If your sin had not been paid in full, Jesus Christ would still be in that grave paying for it. He came and did what he said he would do. He came like he said he would. He came in the manner that he said he would. He came who he said he was. He came to do what he said he would do. And he came in a way that we did not expect. He came in a way that we did not expect. Some of you know my older brother Steve if you know my older brother Steve, then you know that he has certain opinions about things that he holds very strongly. That's the, probably the easiest way to put it. And he got irritated over something the other a while back. He mentioned it to me several times. A few years ago, the president at the time had his picture in the news where he was riding a bicycle wearing a bike helmet. Okay, well, if you knew my brother Steve, you'd already know what he thinks about that. But anyway, at the same time, the leader of Russia had his picture in the news. He didn't have a shirt on, he was riding a horse bareback. And my brother Steve was so irritated about that whole deal. I think you can understand why. It doesn't take too much. I don't think I have to connect the dots for you here. Because you have certain expectations. You have certain thoughts that, need, that go together. We have expectations of powerful leaders. We have preconceived notions of who they are and what they will be and what they will, how they will act. Yet Zechariah says... Thy king cometh. And how does he come? With fanfare and celebration? No, he's born in a stable with the only angels and shepherds to visit. How does he live? Not in a, in a fine palace in the lap of luxury, but without a pillow to put his head on. When he makes his triumphant entry, surely that will be something He'll come in riding a white stallion at the head of an army when the king comes. And Zechariah says, no, uh, here's how it's going to go. Thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass. He will come meek and lowly riding on a donkey with only his disciples to be his, around him. And they were nobodies. My friend, if you'll think on this for any length of time, you'll learn something about your God. If you will contemplate that one fact, that he came riding in his triumphal entry, riding upon a donkey, meek and lowly, you contemplate that, you'll learn something that you might not know about (laughs) your God. He came in a way that we did not expect thy king cometh. He came like he said he would. He came in the manner that he said. He came who he said that he was. He came to do what he said he would do. He came in a way that we did not expect. Now, this is all history. For most of you, I haven't told you anything that you didn't already know when you walked in this door. But let's take this a step farther Because there is a prophecy that is not yet fulfilled. Turn, if you would, please, to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. Always reread we read this, keep in mind all that we have just read. that Zechariah 9.9. 9. Keep, keep that whole thought process in mind as we read this. Verse number 11. Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. If you have been paying attention at all, there is a stark contrast between these two passages of Scripture, are there not? It's almost like, did I get into a different book here? It's like, is this the same person? My friend, this is the same person. Thy King cometh, it is the very same King. Yet the prophecies are totally different. How can this be? Well, very easy. The first time he came to save mankind. The next time he's coming to end the rebellion. Oh, but some say, it's been nearly 2,000 years since this prophecy was made, and we haven't seen him yet. May I remind you that it was over 500 years when Zechariah wrote 9 9. It was 500 years before the Savior came, born of a virgin. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but God does not forget a promise. He does exactly what He said He would do. You can take it to the bank right now Thy King cometh. He, come, he will come like he said he would. He will come in the manner that he said. He's no longer going to come as a, in a manger, having a manger as a cradle and a rock for a pillow. He'll no longer be riding a donkey in meekness. He will be riding a white horse from heaven. He will come who he says he is. Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, he will come to do what he said he will do. He will judge the world and rule with power. And he will come in a way that we do not expect. Get a handle on this. The world has known very little of the wrath of God. We've seen a couple of times the great flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Tower of Babel. We've seen very little, but we have seen some of the wrath of God. We have seen the consequences of sin, have we not? All around us, in our own lives and all around us, we see the penalties that come from sin. Sin has its own built-in penalty that really wrecks our lives and makes life difficult. We all have experienced that. But we have seen very little, my friend, of the wrath of God. What we have seen is the grace and mercy of God. At every turn, at every corner, at every stupid thing we do, we have seen grace and mercy. But my friend, it is folly to think that this will always be the case. We experience grace and mercy now because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ, his son. That's where all of the wrath went. But, it is, my friend, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That verse ought to shake you to your core. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He came the first time, meek and lowly. A bruised reed he would not break. A smoking flax he would not quench. But don't believe this is from weakness or his inability to do his part. His love provided a way. That's why he came the first time to bring us back to God. But when he comes again, it will be to end the rebellion. Think logically. Do you think that God is going to act in grace and mercy on those who reject the gift of his only begotten son? Can your mind stretch that far that God is just going to ignore the rebellion against himself when, those, when people are still standing in rebellion, when he has provided a way back to himself? For those who choose to remain in open revolt against him, what do you think it will be? My friend, do not be lulled into false thinking. He may have ridden in on, on a donkey the first time, but he will come with a sword in his hand, riding a white horse when he comes again. Make no mistake about it. Now, In these last few moments, let's tie the three words together. We've looked at the prophecy and the fulfillment of it. Let's tie the three words together. Thy King cometh. Jesus Christ is King. No matter what anyone thinks, no matter how bad they curse His name, no matter what anybody wants or desires, Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. His rule is not optional. His rule has never been in jeopardy. And rebellion against him will not stand. He is the ruler of the universe. You might as well accept that fact. Thy is personal. He is your king. Like it or not, accept it or not, desire it or not. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is not an option. You can rebel if you want to. You can fight against him if you want to. You may live your life as you see fit. But hear me now. You are fighting a losing battle. You will not prevail. He is your king you can either be a loyal subject or a disloyal subject. And you determine which way you will be treated. Thy king cometh. He's already come the first time. He came to bring salvation. When he comes the second time, of course when we talk about that, we're really talking about two separate events, the rapture of the church and the second coming of our Lord. These are two We won't get into the technical aspect of that this morning. We're talking about two distinct events, the rapture and the second coming. But the fact of the matter is, your king is coming. Now, when you think about that event, your king returning, it ought to have, create some emotion in your heart. Now, what emotion does that create in your heart? It, for some, it should create absolute fear. It, fear would be an appropriate emotion. If you are living in rebellion against God at this moment, if you have rejected his son as your savior, if you have never accepted Christ as your savior, you should be living in fear. He is coming to judge the earth. And to put down the rebellion. It's going to happen. And when Zechariah said fear not. He was not talking to people. Who were planning on just continuing the fight. Jesus Christ came to save. And if you have not allowed him to do that. You're living in rebellion. And that is my friend. A very fearful position. And this morning I would encourage you to leave that position. For the others who say, you know, I know the Lord is Savior, so I know I'm going to heaven. The Lord's return, though, should be unnerving to you. It is possible to live this life like the Lord never said anything like he saved us and just told us to go and do whatever we wanted. It's possible to live our lives like everything's okay. But my friend, the king is returning. And each of us are going to have to answer to God for what we did here. And I know heaven's for eternity, and I know all of that. But he warns us over and over and over again. To prepare for his coming. To watch and be ready and to be serving. He warns us over and over and over again. And if you are not doing that, then his coming should unnerve you. His coming should be, man alive, I'm going to have to answer for what I've been doing here the last ten years. And that should unnerve you. But what should really happen, the emotion you should really feel, is joy, rejoicing. (laughs) My king is coming. Anybody here Robin Hood fans? I have been a Robin Hood fan since I was a little kid. And if you know the story, you know that King Richard went off to fight in the Crusades and Prince John took over, right? And what was Prince John? A rat. And Robin Hood and his men were always faithful to King George, to King Richard, and King Richard, King George, <laughs> Fourth of July. I got us in trouble there. Okay, you non-history buffs, just go back to sleep. Okay. When King Richard, they kept looking. When the king returns, things are going to get straightened out here. We're living in the forest now, but when the king returns, he's going to set matters right. And they had with great joy anticipated the return of the king. And every person in, a, in this sitting as auditory auditorium ought to have that same thought. Yeah, we live in a wicked world. And the prince and power of the air is doing a lot of wicked things. But our king is coming. And he's going to set matters straight. And we look with joy for that to come. So you're sitting here basically with one of three emotions. Absolute fear for the, you're in rebellion against God and he's coming to solve this problem. Unnerved because you have not been true and following your savior as you ought or with great joy because your king is coming to set matters straight. Amen. My friend, thy king Let's pray.